You know, Scripture, there's supposed to be a song in between the reading and the sermon. This new song leader guy just goes, he is liberal progressive change agent. Y'all just take note of him. If you'll open up the book of Jonah, we're going to be there tonight. Grateful that you're here. Where's Brad and Susan and Jaden? Where? Okay, there there he is, anyway. Um, this, now, is this technically your last service here? I mean, is this... Maybe. Well, I mean, not last. He'll be back to see us and stuff like that. But, I mean, uh, as, a, as a regular member, we are going to be able to kind of uh, honor them uh, tonight with the meal that we're going to have. Hope that you'll stay afterwards and interact and have some fun together. Uh, I, I originally had planned Exodus for tonight, but I've been dealing with Jonah all week long, and I just, I just found some interesting things I'm going to share with you. Uh, had a group of uh, 42 high school students from six different states gathering, and they were all from the book of Jonah. So Friday, uh, Friday listened to 15 sermons from the book of Jonah. Um, I, I have a newfound respect for you guys uh, to have to listen to that stuff over and over again. Uh, but anyway, it was good. It was good stuff, and those guys were tremendously talented. And I, I'm thinking uh, the future of, of the church looks really good in the leadership hands of some of these young people. Some of them scared me to death, but now, uh, you know, some of them, I'm just looking out there going, I, I see this guy out there uh, in the near future, and it's a, a neat, uh, rewarding thing. Um, how many have seen VeggieTales on Jonah? Let me see veggie tales. How many have gone to a VBS about Jonah? I sometimes wonder if we have any business doing a VBS on Jonah. Uh, that guy, I, he's terrible. Have you really read the book? I mean, read the book. We don't do VBSs on Jonah. We do VBSs on Jonah 1 through 3. We leave off chapter 4, and it's probably a good thing that we do because the guy is not somebody your kids need to aspire to. We're going to be looking at the book of Jonah, and, and you heard it read very well a moment ago. This guy's mentioned elsewhere. He's mentioned in the book of 2 Kings chapter 14 uh, when uh, one of the kings spreads back the boundaries of, Egypt, uh, of Israel back to where they need to be. And Jonah was the one who said, y'all need to go take these cities because we need to get back to where Solomon was. And he was a boundary-keeping prophet. He was the one who wanted us to have the right boundaries for the people of Israel. And God throws a curve at him. I really wonder how the Jews ever put the book of Jonah in their Old Testament. The only explanation is the providence of God, it seems to me, because it's such an indicting book, an indictment of the people of Israel. Uh, so Jonah, first of all, is given this message. It starts out just, you, you have no, no real introduction except he's the son of Amittai, right? Go to that great city of Nineveh. Great city doesn't mean they're wonderful, it means it's huge. It's, it's a great big city, and I want you to go speak out against it. Now, we don't know why, but Jonah says, there ain't no way I'm doing that. And the first sign he gets, he goes to Joppa, and he catches a ship to go the opposite way of Nineveh. I am not going to do, God, what you're asking me to do. I am out of here. I am not doing it. This journey, they say, is a year and a half to get from Joppa to Tarshish. He's wanting a nice, slow boat to China to keep him away, as far away from where God wants him to go as he can. Now, why do you suppose he's that way? Why, When God asks him to do something, and this seems like a simple thing, just go preach this message to this group of people, 
no way, I'm out of here, sayonara, and he runs. And I do wonder about us sometimes. There are some commands we know full well in Scripture are there that we have no real intention of getting serious about obeying, so we're not all that unlike Jonah. But this just seems kind of funny. He pays the fare and he goes on board. He goes down to the city of Joppa. Remember that for later on. And he tries to flee from the presence of the Lord. Now you know full well you cannot run from the presence of God. Psalm 139, you go to the heights, he's there. You go to the depths, you can't get away. You know this, if you're a servant of the sovereign God, you know there's no place he's not. But why not try sometimes? The Lord's not going to let him get away with this. He's going he's to try to develop Jonah. He's trying to make him get closer to the heart of God. And he's doing the same thing for all of us. God wants us to be a little bit closer to his heart than our own. So he starts throwing stuff at Jonah. You, do you know what this phrase means? Jonah gets punked. You know what that means? This is not a, a bad slang term, I promise. It, it just means God does a bunch of practical jokes on him. God is up there laughing at the thought of Jonah, thinking he's going to get away from him. And to remind him, it says God picks up, it's the same word for hurl a, a spear, he picks up a storm and he throws it. And he throws the storm at this boat that Jonah has gotten on, and Jonah has not only gotten on it, but he goes to the very the bottom depths of this boat so that no one will find him and he falls asleep down there but there's this great big storm you know the story a great big storm whips this thing around tiny boat starts getting tossed the mighty ship was tossed you know and all that stuff the whole Gilligan Island kind of stuff the mariners on side these are pagan people who, who are on this ship and they're all worried and they're all they interpret everything theologically Although they're pagan and they say some God's mad at us, we're going to try to throw lots and figure out after, and they're trying to figure this out. But as they're, as they're also throwing off the cargo, they all, what do you know? After, as they're tossing off the cargo, what do you know? There's a guy down there. They bring him up and the lot falls on him. What have you done? Jonah doesn't say much. But he does tell him, uh, the problem is me, and you're going to have to throw me overboard. Now, why doesn't Jonah just jump overboard? I don't know, but these sailors don't want to do it. These are pretty decent people. And in fact, in comparison to Jonah, they're pretty God-fearing people. You know, when the pagans act better than the righteous people, something's wrong. So they go ahead and they toss him overboard because of the storm that God created. And as soon as he hits the water, the storm stops. That's something, isn't it? That's pretty powerful. And those sailors then pray to God, right? The one thing Jonah never would do in this, in this chapter, these pagans do. It's just an amazing comparison. You get to chapter 2 then, or almost, at the end of chapter 1, there comes this fish that we all know. Only mentioned in a couple of verses, right? And he's in that fish for a little, a little while. There's just not much to do in the belly of a fish. I can't imagine if you can do much of anything. And he's there, and he starts praying, and he has this long prayer of Jonah chapter 2. And the prayer is not one of repentance. You don't hear him repenting at all. He doesn't admit his mistake. He doesn't say, I've been wrong. He, he, he thanks God, you know. 
Cast me into the deep, verse 3, into the hearts of the seas and the floods surround me and your waves and your billows passed over me and I'm driven away from your sight and he falls down, down. He sinks farther and farther away and all the seaweed grabs around him and his life is fading away and he remembers the Lord and his prayer comes to the Lord in his holy temple. I want to notice a couple of verses here. Verse number 9. I will pay what I vowed. It's an attitude adjustment. It's a little bit of move toward repentance. I will do what I told you I would do, and that is obey your word. I'll do that. It's going to be half-hearted. It's not going to be full of enthusiasm. It's not going to be with a whole heart devotion. But I will at least do what you tell me to do. And God gets what he wants. You see, Jonah wants to die, and God says, you ain't dying on me until I've got my praise from you. Swallows him, he prays, and then... The fish vomits him up on dry ground. So we start again, chapter 3. Here comes the call again. Arise. This sounds familiar. It's deja vu, only this time he acts a little different. Go to Nineveh, that great city. Call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. And now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey wide. Huge city. But notice he goes one day preaching and then quits. If it's three days wide, and he goes one day in, that's one-third hearted effort. I don't really want to tell everybody. I want to cover it, and I just want to be able to say I did what God told me to, but I'm not going to tell everybody. I'm just going to go in one-third, and then I'm going to quit, and I'm going to, I'm going to what? Well, something happens that he doesn't Expect He's been punked a couple of times. Thrown in the ocean, I'm safe. I'm not going to have to go to Nineveh. Nope, here comes the fish. And that fish just throws him up right on shore, right where Nineveh's just way over there. I mean, just perfectly timed. You're not getting away, Jonah. And I'm going to even do one more thing. Here's the sermon he preaches. How a guy can be so upset when people respond this way to a sermon is beyond me. You give me an eight-word sermon and have 120,000 people repent, I'm going to retire and coast on the reward. I quit. It'll never get any better than this. He preaches, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be. That last word means this, this city will be turned upside down. And he's thinking this city will be destroyed. Yeehaw! This is a message I can preach. 40 days and you guys are going to fry. But that word also means turned upside down in repentance. But Jonah's not thinking that. Jonah's thinking he's going to see the fireworks start any minute. So he preaches the message, yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown or turned upside down. And the people of Nineveh listen. Imagine that, a sermon people listen to. They called for a fast. They put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word even reaches the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne. He got off the throne and put God there, and he removed his robe, and he covered himself with sackcloth, and he sat in ashes, and he sits this, issues this proclamation. Everybody, everybody, even the animals repent. That's a really weird thing, but all cats need to. I know this. Cows. We're not going to feed them. We're not going to drink water. Let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. Let them call out mightily to God. This is a total full repentance scene here. 
Let everyone turn from his evil way and the violence that is in his hands. Who knows God may turn and relent and turn away from his fierce anger. God saw it. And God, your version may say, repented. The people of Nineveh aren't the only ones who changed their minds. God did too. You have the power in your response to his word to change God's plans for you. It's in you. But it displeased Jonah. We don't go here with our VBS. It ends with chapter 3. Because it gets so ugly. Why did Jonah run? We're kind of baffled by that in chapter 1. Why in the world? What's the big deal? Just go and preach, right? Why do you want to die rather than do what God asks you to do? Well, you're going to find out in chapter 4. You don't until then. Why would he only go one-third of the way in the city and then he kind of sat down and quit? Why in the world was he half-hearted? Not half-hearted, third-hearted. Why was he third-hearted? Why not do the job the way God called him to with enthusiasm and joy and with vigor and wholeheartedness? Because he hated them and he didn't want God to be gracious to them. There are some people I'm dying for God's judgment to hit. There's some people we don't want to repent. There's some people we would love God's grace to be withheld from. There's some people in our lives that will do whatever we can not to see them repent. And the Ninevites are Jonah's people that he wants to see fry. And it totally displeased him that God was this way. Now notice when Jonah finally speaks to God. They've, not, they've been at an impasse. Jonah speaks to God, but God doesn't speak to him. And God speaks to Jonah, but Jonah doesn't speak to him. Now they speak to each other. But th- here's this conversation. He prayed to the Lord and he said, oh, Lord, this is why I didn't want to leave Israel. This is why I ran. I know who you are, Exodus 34, 6 and 7. The Lord proclaimed before Moses on the mountain, The Lord, the Lord, a God compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. He does not always accuse or harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve, right? I knew who you were, and I knew you'd turn gracious on these people. I knew you'd have mercy and compassion on them, and I didn't want you to. And I didn't want them to be able to repent, and that's why. That's why I didn't go. So right now, I'm going to ask again, God, let me die. I would rather die than see these people spared. That's a great Bible character. Listen, sometimes we have to preach some condemning, condemning, condemnation sermons. I still believe that some point in time, at various times you get in the text, there needs to be hellfire and brimstone sermons. Because there really is a hellfire and brimstone reality. But when you preach it, don't preach it like you're looking forward to it. Like you delight in people being caught here. So he goes out of the city. God looks at him, by the way. The Lord says to him, do you have a reason to be angry? This is ridiculous. And so he goes out of the city, verse 5, and he sat to the east of the city. He made a booth for himself. He's still hoping that 40 days from now God will bring the fireworks. He's looking for Sodom part 2. 
He sits under the tr- this, this booth, and God causes a plant to grow up and actually give him shade. And he's very pleased about that, and he's delightful about that, and he's waiting to see the fireworks go off, but then all of a sudden a worm eats the, eats the, the roots of that tree and causes it to fall. Now the sun's beating on his head and his bald head, and he's getting burned up, and he's angry, and he's mad about God. He says, I want to die. He says it again. I want to die rather than see this. But God said to Jonah, do you have a right to be angry about this plant that you had nothing to do with? And like most people who are angry, they talk nonsense. Yeah, I had a right to be mad about the plant. had nothing to do with you. You didn't plant it. You didn't water it. It had nothing to do with you. You had nothing to do with the people of Nineveh. I created them. They aren't yours. And in fact, they're not your people. But they're still my people, and I care about them. And I love the fact that 120,000 people repented. And I wanted to show mercy. And how dare you have a right to be angry about that? And the book ends. And you wonder, did Jonah respond or not? Did Jonah finally grow up? Because God is coming after him to develop the heart of God. And God's saying, listen, if you're going to really be my prophet, you've got to have my heart. My heart for the lost. My heart for people who are your enemies. You can't look at them like a human person does who's devoid of a a love of God. You've got to develop this. And if we're going to be God's people, we've got to have God's heart. We've got to have God's intent. We've got to have God's purpose. And that is to reach a lost world that looks very messy and it looks very sloppy. And you look out there and look at those bad behaviors of course it's bad behaviors they're being world and God loves them with his whole heart and how dare we do less than love them the same way I think God comes after people like this he comes he uses nature in this story he uses it says God appointed a storm God appointed a fish. God spoke to the fish and had it throw up Jonah. This is a weird book. God talking to plants. God talking to seas and control. I think God does this. The other night it was 1 o'clock in the morning. I was driving from from Circe back home, and I swear I hate this light up here, this one right up here. It's 1 in the morning. There's nobody around, and it turns red. There's nobody, and I'm the only one in the world who's traveling, and it turns red. I think they've got those buzzers on. I think they've got those things that look, and they've planted them inside every one of my bumpers. And when I get within 30 feet, that silly light up here turns yellow every time. It doesn't matter whether there's anybody there or not. And I I look at this, and I've been working on this, and while I'm away at Harding on things like this, I'm always... I'm always looking at, I get away and I go, what are the struggles I'm having that I want to overcome? And one of them happens to be anger at times like that. And it doesn't matter what I do with the anger. I think the whole anger thing is stupid and silly, right? And I shouldn't respond that way. And so here I was after a week away from almost all reality, getting to think about things of God and how I'm going to handle it next time. And I'm thinking, it's 1 o'clock in the morning. I'm not going to have to worry about that silly light. And what do you know? God punked me. And you're going to say, God had nothing to do with that light. Oh, yes, he did. He appointed a traffic light. I guarantee you, and he will for you. And he'll make sure that when you're at Sam's with 100 billion people, there's two cash registers open. God will do it to you. He will do it to you. 
And it's all, I do believe Christians view it this way. In Hebrews chapter 12, it says, Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. What he's saying is, don't debate whether God caused it or whether this caused it or why. Don't debate all that. When a hardship comes, endure it as discipline from God. Allow it to be a tool God uses to shape you and deepen you and more in tune with his heart. I don't know what's happening to you, and I don't know how God's punking you. But I believe we serve a sovereign God who's in control of a lot of things, and when he wants you to look more like him, and we don't do that easily by prosperity and blessing, he will use discipline, and he will appoint nature, and he will appoint different things to happen in your life to give you chances to develop his heart. That's the story of Jonah, and the question is, does does Jonah ever respond to that? I don't know. I have to think he did because we otherwise wouldn't have the story of Jonah at all. But we don't know. But one of the most interesting things is Jesus only really, you know, when they asked for a sign, he would only give the Pharisees one sign. Does anybody remember what the sign was? Sign of the prophet Jonah. Three days and nights in the belly of the fish. Unlike Jonah... We serve a Savior who was a prophet who exactly had the heart of God. And he went to the world's worst enemies, all of God's worst enemies. He went to them and he preached the message to them even though those same people were going to put their hands on him and kill him too. But he did it. Even while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. But there's one other guy, I think, who's compared to this. This is a weird thing in Matthew 16 when Peter makes this great confession. And Jesus looks at him and says, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah. Bar-Jonah. Bar means son of or very much like Jonah. He's actually the son of John, according to John 1. So why would God say, you're so much like Jonah? Because when God asks him to do something, it takes him a while to get around to it. He accepts it as a prophet, but he accepts, the, you know, he accepts the fact that he's given the keys of the kingdom, and then he goes and he does something that shows that he's really operating in the mind of man, not the mind of God. And do you know the most common thing, the most powerful thing Peter did? It took him a while to come around to it, but he was the one who opened the doors of the kingdom to Gentiles. That's you and me. And it took a real struggle for him. Do you remember this? He was at the home of a man named... Simon the Tanner, and he's on the ceiling. Not on the ceiling. <laughs> he's on the roof. It's the wrong side. There's two sides to a roof, you know. He's on the roof, and this thing lowers down, and he keeps fighting with God about, that's unclean. God said, don't call it that. Three times. And what city was that house in? Joppa, the same city Jonah was in when he boarded that ship for Tarshish to go the other way. And I'm wondering if God's saying, you know what, I'm going to be giving you this great plan to reach people beyond your own little circle of Jews. And you're going to struggle with it just like Jonah did, but you're going to win. You're going to win. And I think he's saying, I believe Jonah did too. And I think we need to do the same thing. What we need to do is understand the heart of God and realize it's not just about us getting together and enjoying the salvation that we have and the great relationship we have through Christ. And we should, we need to, and let the world see it. But we need to care about all those strange people with strange behaviors who, lives, who live outside this building, we've got to embrace the heart of God. 
And we've got to go and we've got to share it with people who we really don't think will accept it. May we have the heart of God. And may we let him discipline us. When life happens, take a look at it. I think he's trying to direct us into a heart like his. as completely saturated with his concerns and thoughts and burdens as his is. May we be a people at this church on the hill who we do take seriously the challenge this morning. Bless three people this week. Bless three people. Then the week after that and the week after that, make them experience a taste of the kingdom. Because the truth is, we want everybody to be saved. We want everybody to experience this grace. One of the things that was a real struggle for the kids was they'd all looked at that and said, that is amazing grace, and it is. And they all go to chapter 4 and say, you know, everybody receives the grace of God. And I said, no, 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 no. Everybody's offered the grace of God. But not everybody gets it. Before you get excited about, about the fact that everybody gets saved in chapter 4, remember they repented in chapter 3. For people to receive the grace of God, which is universally offered, repentance is necessary. We do. We take it to all those people who have behaviors unlike, you know, you think of the worst people in your mind. Maybe, maybe people who are murderers or people who are hateful or people who are... are, are gender struggles and all that stuff that we talk about in our world and sexual promiscuity and all. Think about all those people, and they are offered. But repentance is necessary. God commands all people everywhere to repent. So tonight, there's two groups of people that need to repent. One is maybe you've never turned your life over to God and received the grace. He's wanting to offer it to you. God's love is unconditional and universal, but God's grace is conditional. At least His saving grace is. But maybe you are a child of God like Jonah was, and you desperately need to repent because you've got a very small view of God, and maybe you've got tunnel vision. That you only think of people who are right and good and kind and in your world that, that deserve it. That has to be repented of because a target audience is anybody in the world who needs it. That's the heart of God. And that's what He wants you to have. This evening, if there's a cause for you to repent, if there's a need that you need to change, now's a good time to announce it or come to claim it as we stand and as we sing to encourage you.